Good morning and welcome to Entrepreneur Realities, the podcast of the Venture Lab of the Munich Technical University. In this series, we will discuss with leading entrepreneurs, venture capitalists and intellectual authorities to illustrate many sides of entrepreneurship and inspire students at home and elsewhere to start their own entrepreneurial journey. My name is Antoine Leboyer, I'm the Managing Director of the Software and AI Toom Venture Lab, and we are joined today with Herbert Mangesius. Herbert is a Toom CDTA alumni who has worked as a researcher in multiple labs in Europe, and he is now a founder partner of V Squared Venture, which is known in Munich as a deep tech venture. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, hello. Um, let me first uh, ask you before talking about V Square, how you became a VC. How you came from Toom and CDTM to become a VC? Um, I think the, the main element that drove me there is the CDTM. So I'm, I would say I'm a quite unusual guy in the venture capital community, at least in Germany or maybe in Central Europe, because I, uh, I was hardcore science focused. So I started off as an engineer, aerospace engineer, and went into more applied mathematics and physics and um, eventually decided to do, to do a PhD in very theoretical laboratories uh, across Europe. And from there, I jumped into VC directly after my, my PhD time, basically. And the reason was the CDTM program while I was a student. So um, between bachelor's and master's, back then it was a diploma, the German good old diploma engineer. <laughs> and um, so it was in that program uh, as a wild card because I came from mechanical engineering, not uh, computer science or business um, or electrical. And uh, there I got to know uh, the first VC in my life. Uh, it was fun. I think it was called Polytechnos, Target Partners. Back then they gave lectures at the CDTM. And uh, those people were very fascinating. So they were founders themselves. They were, one was an aerospace engineer himself. They went then into consulting. And after uh, a long career uh, and having gray hair, they, they got into venture capital. And I thought this sort of person and life experience um, and that character as, as they were are exciting. And maybe that can be something that I will do later in my life, 50 plus years old. <laughs> and um, when I basically came back from, uh, I was, I was uh, in, in Lubanov, so in, in Belgium, um, to Munich, um, to now my, my wife and uh, to, to stay together basically. I was looking around and from the CDTM network, I heard about a fund that was about to be set up, Vito Ventures, the first one, so the, the predecessor to these grand ventures. Um, and they were looking, um, other than typical funds, uh, that was in 2015, uh, for a guy who had a very broad engineering view, but understands the problem of our time, which were software and networking related and, um, and has an affinity to, to venture capital. So I think that market was <laughs> very niche. And uh, just, just for curiosity, I, I contacted uh, the guy who was set up the fund back then, and immediately they, they, they wanted me, and I just jumped in and, and joined. Um, it was the worst paid job back then, and I had no idea about the industry, to be honest, just a very uh, romantic picture uh, for my past. <laughs> and uh, we started off, and, uh, and I think this, this engineering background um, and a very deep and, and strong also science background um, had us to get very quickly into what is now called deep tech. So we did infrastructure investment, software-defined infrastructure, also hardware stuff with deep ventures. And with that, we were kind of the first. And now we see it basically six years later, okay, this has become a category. 
and we were acting there in play just to make where there was no category term. And somehow the success of the companies created this category and now it's uh, almost an established field. At least you know the, the, the name Deep Tech <laughs> and you say we are the Deep Tech fund. Well, I was going I to ask you by, by opposition to you know, growth fund or seed fund, how would you define Deep Tech? And what would be a deep tech type of project? Can you give examples of you know, investment you've done? Can you explain what this is? Yeah. So in a more abstract sense, this is for us, uh, it means that uh, at the core of the product or service of a company, there is something very technical, deeply technical. And by deeply, we mean something that um, there are not too many people on earth uh, that can build something like that, that have the capability to deal with this truth technologies or execute uh, on, on, on them um, so that uh, the overall competition is quite limited. So um, what we gain is, uh, is limited competition and technology as an amplifier. So if it fits to a market, of course, you have probably immediately global markets and really an amplification or, or strong elasticity uh, if you manage to get such a product to market and find a product market fit because it's not a huge huge competition. Can, can we stay on this? Because many of the projects that come to the venture lab are technology driven. Yeah. And the work that we try to do is really to try to quote unquote find a market. Is there, you know, how do you approach these? Um, how do you try to uh, help an entrepreneur who comes in with a pure tech background? To make sure that they can find a market from their deep tech. Uh, I think it's, it's very, very simple. So you must be very pragmatic about the reality and not betray yourself and be in love with the technology or the science result or, or whatever you've done. And uh, by that, I mean, look 10 years into the future. So this is a lifetime about, of, of a fund. So you need to fit, first of all, into this uh, time frame somehow. Yeah? And, and how will the world look like in, in 10 years from now? And in order to extrapolate, you look at big problems today, conflicts, etc., certain technology trends, exponential trends, uh, and, and to come up with, with an idea about the future. Yeah? And, and, from, and, and then we ask for plausibility. Is this something that could happen? And if so, we try to, to get back from there um, and, and, and see where we are today. And what can be the first step towards that thing? And do we have then more robustly, larger steps to eventually get to this uh, more distant future. And is it something that we want to see and want to have? Is it something realistic? And are there major, robust drivers that might get us there? Because we won't change the world, right? So you need to jump on, on, on certain developments. You need to see them earlier than others do, uh, or believe in, in, in your capability to, to ride that wave, <laughs> in, a, in a sense. And, and uh, really, not drive, but, but write these macro trends and, and do something that fits into the time today with the first steps. And if you if you connect it to this um, basic thinking, you will understand that, that the, the, the sort of investments uh, or, or interactions with the teams we have, right, they are not on the level of a very, very detailed uh, industry-specific um, expert fund. So you might go to microelectronics or, or, or microelectromechanical systems and just do stuff in sensing and, and, and this kind of, okay, uh, that's not us. But if you look, for instance, what, what we did in the past and now becoming more concrete, so we, we financed uh, user aerospace, for instance. So this, it's, it's not the first rocket startup. Uh, 
Actually, there are, I don't know, dozens or even hundreds of, of those, but there, are, there weren't so many back then in, in Germany. Yeah? And we looked at the market and what's happening in, in space, so what are the drivers, what are the developments, and one thing was clear, so we don't know the future really, but one thing is clear with all the things happening, there is a bottleneck in bringing stuff up. And this is a strategic capability to have, and we have no player in Europe. So we're thinking, okay, can that team, despite the young age, I and mean, they haven't even had their, their master degrees, can they execute on them? And the answer was, despite the young age, so that doesn't really matter to us. Um, they had a lot of experience in engineering the systems and getting them to work on very complicated technical things. And they had the first step was uh, a place where they could build and test equipment. So Europe, densely populated, it's very, very hard to test stuff. And the politics doesn't really <laughs> help there as well. So we could go the first step and we saw a major, major problem in bottleneck. And we decided to go for quantum computing, same thing. We were, there are a few hubs only in Europe where you have the complete um, expertise and capability to build the systems and, and, and facilities to, to manufacture those, those uh, quantum uh, uh, computing chips. And at Alto, we had some, such a hub, and we had immediately, when we decided to do it, 24 people that jumped on a company where you had a complex picture of capabilities and experience in building stuff. And uh, so, and, and we knew, I mean, quantum computing was, we, we weren't the first ones. Actually, when we are the first ones to do something, we're quite skeptical about it. And uh, I mean, it, it almost never happens that you invent the market or, or something, but the same idea or same products pop up about at the same time, somewhere you can validate ideas and then parts of ecosystems. So you must fit into something like, like, like this, uh, into, into certain dynamics that, uh, that are heading towards a not so distant future, where you have a clear, big, important picture, everybody wants to play there, and the first steps must be achievable today, and not only here, but or wherever we invest, but probably also in similar spaces. And then you need to win an execution. Now, if we talk a bit about quote unquote, uh, you know, financial element or numbers, most of the time, if not always, these will be companies coming to you with no revenue and they are going to need uh, longer ticket items. Uh, so, does deep tech, uh, how does, uh, you know, are there elements on valuation to have sort of correct valuation for companies when they arrive? Do you look at number of of things that allow you to start having a value at this very early level. You know the VC method. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I mean, people don't even use the VC method where you, you know you think about the point in the future. Yeah. The, the, the build the build sell uh, method. It's, it's rather almost rather, if you don't know it better, and something isn't established by means of comparators, for instance, um, you you say okay, there's a number. What you need is the next step meaningful, and you, you plan through before you talk about really economics of, of, of the deal. You think about the problem, the sequence of steps, and whether we can get it at all into such a C compatible framework. So, short chunks where you have milestones at the end of maybe two year phases where you can justify a value increase, a hefty value increase. And uh, if you can, can get there, you, you, need, you need an idea about the overall budget. Mm -hmm. in order to, to build the product and in order to be then commercial. And then, of course, the product must be that interesting that you can earn money. Can, can, I, then, can I just yeah. interrupt here because this is something that I've discussed with many teams, so allow me to rephrase it and you tell me if this is correct. 
you basically uh, look at whether you're going to be, you know, having potential returns, and you believe, like most VCs, that one will one of say ten is going to make it, and this is more or less how you look at this. But ultimately, the thing that you're going to be looking at is what are the milestones. What will be the funding for the guys to arrive to milestones? And you probably want to make sure that when they arrive to milestones, it's going to be something which has increased value and you can demonstrate the company is stronger. Did yeah. this what you've said? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So sequencing is of, of greatest importance, the sequencing of steps, and then we get to a sequencing um, that fits into this one and a half, two year chunks and justify like step function okay. and then having an idea of the overall budget i mean if you need to invest half a billion or a billion um we probably won't do it so with video um we actually looked at the deal back then and uh, one of the founders was at the institute where i did a phd here um it was so utopian to to me as an engineer and also having having spent time in aerospace right um to to get this flying and, 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 and certify, etc., that uh, I almost didn't take it seriously. I mean, they, they're going there. It's, it's an impressive company, and what they achieved just in terms of fundraising and the people there, this is really impressive. Um, now, whether they can, can do it with, um, now, I don't know, five, six hundred million or a billion, um, um, time will tell, but they got until this stage to this stage. So, this is, this is impressive. But that would be something where we say, this is too capital intensive. Okay. And timing-wise, we don't know ever, if you look at, at certification processes, uh, whether this thing can fly here. I mean, it can serve other markets as well. So I don't think mm -hmm. this is a, a, a very, very big problem or prohibitive. But uh, all of these things for us as a very early stage fund, this is not in our control and not really planable. So if you look at other categories, so staying in this picture of avionics, uh, because there, I mean, many things that are said before fit, right? You see, there is, uh, so, so aviation is going to be um, locally um, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, green, yeah? so, so you don't produce uh, carbon emissions. And uh, locally, I mean, you have, you have, I don't know, green hydrogen or battery electric planes. So now if you look at the discussion in, in mobility, uh, cars basically being battery electric or hydrogen, I mean, we have huge problems with producing green hydrogen. And if we get it, I mean, put it into chemical industry and wherever it is needed, heavy industry, and not waste it in, in cars. Yeah? So it's basically battery electric. And you see the same thing now happening in, in national markets where, I don't know, regulators don't want planes to fly and subsidize basically pollution of the, of the climate, which makes sense uh, partially. Sometimes it's, it's not so easy, but there you see through regulations a market opening up for, for short distance um, air travel, which will be battery electric. And that will change the whole model. So we will see new operator models and we know for a hundred years or even longer, I don't know, how to build the planes basically. Uh, we know how to certify this. We know how to deal with batteries. You need to integrate it. You need uh, a sound uh, integration and safety concept for it. And then you need to build a, a new market and a new mobility service basically. But there's a need and, and there's a regulatory push. The technology is just there. Just now it is there capacity wise. So what do you see? I mean, you see these companies popping up uh, everywhere. Yeah. Just classical planes, battery electric. And this is interesting because you see clear pathways to, to certify the European uh, regulatory bodies are very um, uh, progressive. They, they want this to, to happen, basically. 
and you can take you know, an overall budget if you really have experience and you know how to deal with these processes. You can actually with a with a with a small amount, uh, small is relative, of course, to, to, to build such a thing. What you've described is very business centric. Most of the engineers that um, I work with at TUM are very engineers driven. Um, when you see teams that arrive with a project which has uh, very, you know, a good, strong technological content, but that no one on the team has got a sense for the business element, um, how do you judge the team? Do you step in to try as a VC to bring someone who could be complementing them? Is this part of the, the work that you do as a VC? Uh, absolutely. <clears throat> I have a very... Um personal view on that. So I think for, for these sort of transformative companies, so that really put products into market services that, that help transforming industries, so mobility, for instance, with battery, electric, Tesla, aviation, computing, uh, medical, neuromodulation, we are very active there, um, agriculture, through robotics, delivery. So a lot of many, many, many things happen. Technologies converge and, and and offer great opportunities. And we see things transforming on a wide front in, in, in several industries. And um, so if, if, if you look at that and then see that the, the challenge most is an engineering challenge to build products that good quality, not only software, but software or ICT basically merging with hardware, getting into the real world. So there are certain hardware-related challenges that aren't quickly fixable, but you need experience, you need quality processes, you need to know exactly what to do. And this is engineering know-how and, um, and, and engineering capability. And I believe it's really a great time for the engineering CEO. I mean, this is something that you also see in the United States with many engineering CEOs that have a very good understanding of the product, of manufacturing processes, and have a good sense for what the people out there, for, for customers, etc., and, and, and draw a picture about how business works. And it's much easier to come from engineering to business than the way around. You will never, as, as a business guy, really get to the point that you get this feeling for the engineering challenge, the processes in the company, your people, that everything you do, you depend on. I, I, hope, I hope that every engineer at CV, every student at TUM is going to ponder on what you've said because this is very well, <laughs> But I mean, the challenge, of course, is begin in the beginning, you don't have it and uh, you, you can learn it. And I think this is something where we, I mean, to think how we contribute at a very early stage. We spend time, so we don't look at a thousand companies and invest in one and we don't have this competition. We have more time, we look into less companies, we have more hypotheses on certain domains and we spend time with teams partially half a year or a year to share a case and see how we can either complement whether we find people or whether they are coachable or whether there's one figure, one character that certainly can grow into such a such a such a position. And even if all of this is not the case yet, we are comfortable to, if it's interesting enough, to jump in and, and to, to capitalize a, a company with a, with a seed investment and observe it closely and then maybe the next stage you, you need to bring someone in but to have more time if you can start working on the engineering topics at least and, and build a network etc bring in relevant partners and uh, then you observe how they develop basically but yeah so so developing into such a more commercially or not not more but essentially a commercially driven 
CEO character from an engineering background, I think this is this is the, the best thing that can happen. Okay, and that's what we what we love to see basically. You've spoken about um, uh, the US um, in the software I space where I am. I feel that it is easier to come in as an entrepreneur with deep tech innovation, finally adopters, uh, be able to get proof of concept with larger established companies. Then what you find here, is this something that you find? In other words, do you find enough specific deep tech investment in Germany or in Europe as a whole? Um, actually, yes, we, we do. So there are, I mean, we invested with we squared um, almost every month into our company. So we have a portfolio of about 12 companies already. How much? One, one, one time, 12 companies. Okay. So, um, and uh, there are many more in the pipe. So it's it's basically each month an investment. <laughs> okay. But we are, we are spreading more. Um, so we're not only focused on Germany. So we have a, a very incredible company now in Spain called Inbrain Neuroelectronics. So first deal for us in Spain, in Barcelona, where you see that there's a, a hub growing of these bio slash tech or health slash tech topics and very experienced people coming in so experience on the science manufacturing side um, uh, cto guys who already built uh, companies in those domains commercial people that leave i mean they're 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 bubble switzerland <laughs> around, around lausanne Genève. <laughs> Uh, no, just kidding. I mean, uh, the, the, the CEO there, um, she, she's a lady, she was a long time with Medtronic and actually with Switzerland. But that such people with that experience join startup companies in that early stage tells you something that there's a huge opportunity and they are not bored, but um, I mean, they, they want to see a different world than what they can create in the context of a large company. They want different innovation to happen, which doesn't happen in the context of corporates. So they go where the innovation is, at least the potential for the te technology, the science, etc., the maturity of all of this, and they, they come together. So these things are forming everywhere in Europe. And you have certain focus domains in different cities. So Barcelona is one on this bio domain. Paris is, is amazing. We see so many different companies in Paris as well. Germany is very fragmented because we have this decentralized structure. But um, so um, we, we are uh, in, in in Heidelberg, in Munich, of course, where we did most of our investments in aggregate over, over the past so far. Um, Itzehoe, uh, nobody knows Itzehoe. Um, it, it's a small town north of Germany um, where there was nothing, and then a uh, Fraunhofer Institute <laughs> was placed there with, with a fab, basically a small fab. And you have uh, a semiconductor fab. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you have, you have semiconductor processes, and there's a lot of experience in. in so microelectrochemical systems, where we did one investment, which was very special, very technical for us and specific. And uh, we financed a company called Custom Cells, which uh, we lost hope basically for, for, for IP innovation in battery cells, lithium-ion battery cells. And uh, we found this company that, that went 10 years contrary to the, to the market, over a market, customizing everything from geometry, different elements, etc. Betting uh, on, on, on silicon materials and the electrodes, which all of now we know, okay, these are exactly the elements to get a lot of capacity and, and high performance, basically, uh, batteries into, into certain products like cars. So we joined, we formed a joint venture 
with uh, with Porsche just recently with that company, and uh, we it's, it's public. I can say it. so. We became the supplier for helium for the, for the jets. So I personally thought, from a battery point of view, it's impossible to build such a battery. We have very high power, and then if you go to the flights, the horizontal flight, basically, you, you typically would optimize more for energy capacity. So I mean, power is energy per second to, to lift off basically, and then then go to a different mode. And, I mean, at least I know from the battery side, this works. Uh, this we can deliver this. <laughs> the rest is, is there. But this shows what we have, and uh, we had all of these things ten years ago as well. Uh, but nobody was looking into it. But now the market, I mean, this pull for for battery technology is enormous, and we have no answer here. Now we have one, um, and it, it look. I mean, LG and, and, and couple all of these companies are coming from Asia to to Europe to produce here and. With giga factories like like Tesla is doing, and uh, there you see the pull in the market. I mean, this happens now, yeah? and it wasn't so clear even three years ago. I think if you listen too much to the automotives, um, but I mean for, for for the Americans it was clear somehow <laughs> for Elon at least, and, and now you have this pull in the market, which is very interesting for us. We can look for exactly the situations. Right? So it happens everywhere, often in in, in the regions. Where you have never heard of, and uh, you just need to be away, uh, aware of this and, and be very open and interested. Um, and then you, you find a way to get there. It's, it's more of a random walk and to be a lot of trust, but that requires openness, and then you come exactly to those spots. Let me ask you uh, the last question that I ask systematically in this podcast Do you have any recommendations for the students at TUM? <clears throat> Go out, prove yourself. Uh, found companies. I think it's, it's the best experience, especially when you're young. Uh, so if you, I remember myself. Uh, I was in the process of founding a company myself. That's how I got into the CPM. And to be honest, like when I started uh, my engineering studies at Tuben, it was in 2004, um, three or four. Uh, I, someone told me actually a later colleague in venture capital. I met her as a student, and she was telling me something about entrepreneurship, and there's another entrepreneurial club here, and I had no idea what this word entrepreneurship means, literally. And I was interested in, in robotics, uh, machines that can walk, and you know, stuff that can fly, and control this. And she was so excited about uh, entrepreneurship, and I asked her what the word entrepreneurship means. It sounded very French to me. <laughs> and and and. I don't know, they couldn't even, I didn't get it, to be honest. Yeah? And, uh, and later when I was basically pulled into, into like founding a startup and, and saw how easy it is for a student to get access to I mean, significant people and companies, um, you have early access to technology that is not available to, to corporates, you can experiment, your cost of life is so little, you can just play around basically and do exciting stuff and, and prove yourself in the, in the real world. And that's how I got basically into the uh, CTM related to that program from that experience I had and that excitement. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's, um, it, it's a way to, to get a lot of experience in a short time. And when you are, you, you are young, you need to experience something and uh, be challenged. And uh, you never in your life probably will have as much energy <laughs> than you have when you're, when you're young. Uh, as little risk uh, as well, and the upside is always enormous. At worst case, you have to learn from it. Yeah. Marvel, thank you. 
entrepreneurial reality is available on major podcast platform where you can find other inspiring presentation do subscribe if you like this podcast and want to hear more do give us a rating and let your friend know about it we look forward to having you for more entrepreneurial realities <laughs>